0: Hello listeners and welcome to what is now the fourth season of Pebble in the Pond podcast. We appreciate your support throughout the first three seasons uh, as we get our listenership up towards that sixteen thousand mark. Uh, thank you everybody. We appreciate it and um, yeah and what a privilege it is to bring you uh, these stories from amazing people. We are here and we are aiming to create a ripple for change for mental health. My name is Sam Stewart, and I am the CEO of the Australian and New Zealand Mental Health Association. Each year, our association hosts several leading mental health conferences that allow us the chance to meet and connect with the most fascinating and and accomplished people in the mental health space. Listen in as we go one-on-one with the people changing the face of mental health in Australia and New Zealand. From lived experience speakers through to researchers, academics, leading community organisations and influential industry leaders. Our Pebble in the Pond podcast episodes may contain content, themes or topics of discussion that may be triggering for some listeners. If you feel you need any assistance with your mental health at any time, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or visit the Get Help page for additional resources at anzmh.asn.au. This week's podcast guest, Lieutenant Colonel Jacqueline Costello, was commissioned into the Australian Army in 2002 and has undertaken a diverse range of clinical, organisational, operational, command and staff appointments during her service. Jacqueline holds a Master's in Organisational Psychology and currently leads the Human Performance Optimisation Team at Headquarters Forces Command. She has served as the Officer in Charge of the Australian Defence Force Centre for Mental Health as a Senior Psychologist in the Commanders Advisory Group at Headquarters Forces Command and prior to her current appointment as the Commanding Officer of the First Psychology Unit. Jacqueline has dedicated her career to best practice, innovation and leadership in military psychology. She is passionate about ensuring that those who serve on the front line, in garrison and deployed on operations are supported to do so with purpose and dignity. Stay tuned as Jacqueline delves into her personal experience in the Australian Army, integrating general health and wellbeing plans into the frontline workforce. Hello, everybody. and Welcome back to another episode. With me today, it gives me great pleasure to introduce Lieutenant Colonel Jacqueline Costello. Jacqueline, welcome. Thank you. Let's just start with your background. Where did it come from? How did you get into what you're doing at the moment with the Army? And we'll go from there.
1: Right. So I'm an Army psych, which means I'm a psychologist in the Australian Army Psychology Corps, of which I have been a member for 22 years. So I was a psychologist before I joined the army. I did my internship in part of the defence program. I have a family history of service and had thought about, played with the idea of joining the military as a much younger person but then got carried away with life and put it on the back burner until I got to a point where I decided I needed a real job Uh. and my roots came back to what's important to me This profession that I've just entered, I really love. But who are my people? Who are my tribe? And I did a bit of my placement activity in my master's work in defence and was hooked. I joined the Army Reserve, which is the part-time option. Yes. And I did about six months of that and then transferred full-time. And I've been full-time ever since. And everything that drew me to the job which is about being part of something bigger than who you are and making a contribution and being able to see that contribution played out every day, being part of a team, Mm -hmm. being part of doing something purposeful, all of that feeds back every day. It's not a utopia, right? It's not wonderful every day and there are challenges but – When you ground yourself in, why do I continue to put on the uniform, because that really matters to me, you know, it's, I reflect on who I am outside of that identity, and it is hard to separate sometimes, but it's very, very motivating for me to be part of the tribe as we, you know, execute the mission. My job is to make sure that those soldiers do so to the best of their ability, and we're there to support them when it doesn't go wrong. Yeah, so it's continue to find, after all these years, I continue to find little things that push my buttons and make it meaningful and remind me of why, you know, we salute the fallen.
0: Yes. Well, thank you for your service anyway to date as well, so I just want to throw that in there, but very important with what you're doing. Tell us, where did you study? Where did you do? Did you do it through the army? Is that is that how it was no, done? Or I'm, you?
1: I'm the outlier. So we have a couple of programs that allow pathways into psychology core, yep. and I'm I didn't enter those pathways, but oh. I can talk I can talk you through. So I actually was did was a registered psych before I joined the army. So that's one pathway we take registered psychologists in through a direct entry pathway. Okay. we put them through initial training. They have a kind of a job readiness. Program that goes anywhere between six to 12 months, and then we essentially let them loose because we know that they're professionals. Mm. We've now built part of the cultural piece around them, we've given them skills, and they build that experience as they go. The other way is our internship pathway. So that's recently changed because the Australian standards around registration is shifting from the four plus two internship program to the five plus one. You might have heard of that, but Mm. essentially, we take people who are almost through their studies and we sponsor the last couple of years of their master's programs and during that time we bring them into the military. So they're there as, as members of the ADF while they're continuing their studies. Right. As soon as they finish, we put them into basic training and we give them through all of that job readiness piece. So they start the identity attachment stuff a little bit earlier. Mm. We start bringing them in, they learn the language, they understand the difference between, you know, a soldier and a sailor and that kind of, you know, that's a tank and that's a gun and that yeah. kind of stuff. But they really start to build those connections inside the, the organisation. Yes. They re- and that's the bit that keeps you going. It's that connection to the people, connection to the soldiers, connection to the work that we do, to our purpose, And we tend to find that people find that really rewarding because as they're slogging away at their last couple of years of their studies, and it's a long pathway to be a psychologist in in Australia, Mm -hmm. as they're slogging away those last couple of years, they've got that goal and they've got that. It's really tangible for them because there's a uniform hanging in their cupboard and, you know, they've got a commissioning ceremony to go to and those kind of things. So it's really motivating for them. Great gig.
0: And so how long were you in private practice before you joined the military?
1: No, no, I I really just came straight across. Yeah, so okay. yeah, I had about 6 months where I did a few bits and pieces around the place, but otherwise yeah. just came in fully registered.
0: And, and so the background the family's been in the service and then the the opportunity to be part of a team and be surrounded by a well-structured organization to support to support you throughout your career was appealing to you is that yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: It's, I guess it's the – the. I don't want to romanticise it, but the idea that you are part of that team, you are part of something that's bigger than yourself, yeah. um, you are contributing, you're on this planet and you're making a difference. Yes. And I think that all of the other bits about being in the military that I was probably naive to about you know, supporting my family, supporting my education – giving me these wonderful opportunities, that was not necessarily the driver. It was more about intrinsic desire to serve.
0: Tell us about your experience as you first commissioned in the Army. Was it 2002, yeah. thereabouts? Yeah, yeah. And what was it like was you, as getting into it? I mean, was it yeah. everything you thought it was going to be? Was it tougher? <laughs> I mean, tell us about the experience.
1: Oh, my gosh. So I'm a specialist service officer. So I come in under a stream that says, you're an Army psych, so you're not a warfighter, Jackie, okay. but we're going to give you this amount of training, which is nowhere near what they give um, the warfighters. Yes. And, and that, that, should be, that should be enough for you to be credible and for you to not hurt yourself and others. Okay. So, <laughs> so we do basic training, essentially. Now, the other piece to the puzzle is this. I'm married to an army officer who is a warfighter. Okay. And so my preparation for going to basic training was probably a little bit different to the other psychs in the room because I'd had lots of please do this, don't do that, tie it this way, carry it that way, right. don't say that. You know, so I had all these things in my head about preparation and some of it was fantastic but, you know, other, others were perhaps setting me up <laughs> for this.
0: Uh, okay. How does she
1: know that? Uh. I don't know, I just, you know. So it was baptism of fire but I have to say I absolutely loved it. I remember third day of basic training we got a phone call home I rang my husband and said, oh, my God, I just learned how to salute on the march. And he just went, you did what? <sighs> and I said, you know, where well you're marching and you get to salute at the same time as you're marching. And he just, his voice was like, oh, you're gone. You're gone for life. <sighs> if, that is what, if that is what fills you up, if that is what's rocking your boat, you're going to love this. And I loved it ever since. I absolutely loved it. Yeah. So... It was, yeah, military training to me was like, give me more. But then going into a unit as the junior psychologist, that's when I first realised how important this role is because you've got the soldiers who look at you, A, you're an officer now, so there's an expectation you conduct yourself in a certain way and you know stuff. And then you've got the commanders who look at you and say, how can you help me? You know, I'm about war fighting. What are you doing here? Right. And, and so there's that navigation of soldiers. I'm here to help you. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I'm wearing the same uniform as you. You know, I'm I'm culturally competent. I speak the same language as you. But you know, deep respect for what you do because I you know I don't do that. And then from a commander's perspective, being able to them to to say you know, I'm not going to make decisions for you. I certainly don't have the same responsibilities and your judgment is important, but I have to find a way to say that's a dumb idea. And if you do that, these are going to be the first and second order effects. And, you know, the mental health of your soldiers matters and you need to start thinking about how you manage your soldiers so that we get those capability outcomes, absolutely. But there's a journey here. So... You Know, I think if I look back on the way that I used to do that when I was a junior psych in the army, it was pretty rough. It was pretty, was it? I would think it was pretty um ambitious. You know, you've got to back yourself, I think, mm. in an organization that is action oriented and needs to be. Yeah, you got to back yourself. I think back to if no, you know, there's this, people who give me advice over the years, and one person said to me, If not you, Jackie, then. Who, uh, who will? Mm. So this assume responsibility. and it's been my kind of ethos ever since I was a junior captain, which is like the second commissioned rank that we progress through, is to be is not to try to be a warfighter, not to try and be like them. Don't try and you know adopt their bannerisms or pick up their lingo or mm-hmm. hang out the places they do, but be as good at my job as they are at theirs. Yeah. So be as professional. Make those judgment calls. Know your stuff. And so for a psych, that's about, you know, building a really big connection with not just inside the army. So having those professional connections outside with industry, with, with other colleagues, with peers that work in psychology, that work in the first responder a community so that I can be as on point as I can to provide advice and that's largely where as you get more senior your role moves away from that face-to-face with soldiers providing frontline mental health support to a command command advisory role. You know it's about we provide information that helps you make decisions.
0: So really I think what you're saying is, so knowing your role in, amongst the team when you join it is really important, and then how you can contribute to the team based on the strength that you bring to the yeah, team. Yeah, now, Tell us about what, the, what was it like with, as far as the peers? Like how you received peers is, I mean, the psychology, uh, something that they take very seriously, has it been pretty progressive and... and from a peer point of view, but then also the command side of things. Yeah. Are they Are taking it serious? Are yeah. they open to it? Yeah. How have you seen that in the last 20 years yeah. since you joined?
1: I've seen change, absolutely. Yep. I know as a junior as a junior psychologist, I could, you know, walk through and clear a room, not in a good way. <laughs> It'd be, oh, God, here she comes.
0: Yeah, right. And,
1: you know, that kind of expectation that I'm going to walk up to someone and say, are you okay, and how can I help? And, you know, there's all the stereotypes about the psych yeah. in the room. You know, I, I'm, not, I'm here, I'm not wearing a cardigan. You know, I'm just here to be part of this team and bring my capability, which is just as important mm. as all the others around the table. But I've seen change. And I reckon particularly the most drastic change has really been in the last five to six years.
0: Is that right? Yeah. And what was that?
1: So I think that there's been a few catalysts for change, some of it has been external. You know, we've had a, a number of reviews that have looked at defence behaviours. There's been a whole lot of programs around pathways to change, etc. But I think internally, you know, our army has been on a journey. Our mission in Afghanistan and the broader Middle East has now drawn down. But the, the lessons from that are really... They're in the spotlight at the moment. It's like, how are we going to learn from this? How are we going to do things better? How are we going to ensure that we retain our soldiers, we retain our capability and we transition our people with purpose and dignity? And I think there's a real openness to that that wasn't there 10 years ago. And I think that is on the back of, you know, decades of serious war fighting that has built a level of resilience but also shown us where our vulnerabilities are. And it is that relentless tempo, you know, we just keep going. And this is that wicked problem of as soldiers we are highly capable, always ready and we will assist. That's our contract with the nation. Mm -hmm. But the vulnerability that that places upon us, the risk of always being on and always being ready, I think is starting to be recognised. That's the shift. You know, in the past it would be, well, you know, that's your identity and Mm. you you want to be part of the team, you turn up, you do your job. And I think now we understand that asking that of everyone and their families over and over will take a toll and we're prepared now to have conversations about it. So that is that is big change in my mind.
0: Did you feel initially there was a sense of you need to prove yourself to be taken seriously or do you feel like that was sort of already there when you joined in or have you seen that shift over time to say, oh, you know what, this is an important part and as the leaders become more open to this yeah. and wanting to have that yeah. sense of you know looking after the mental health of their mm. team as a priority rather than just mm. a tick the box, she's here, I, know, I don't know if it was like that, I'm just trying to ask yeah. you what it was like yeah. to what it is like.
1: Yeah, I, look, it's, I certainly stand on the shoulders of lots who've come before me who did okay. it, who I guess worked in a, a different climate, yeah. you know, prior to army becoming so op- operational, we were, you know, in the 70s and 80s we were a training army we weren't at war. There was peacekeeping operations, et cetera, and we were always on hand for domestic disaster response, et cetera. But, you know, going to war, you know, in East Timor is where it kind of cracked open for us. So psychology services had a different intent, a different, different things that we supported. And it wasn't until we started putting our soldiers on operations, on warlike operations, that there was this spotlight kind of shone on it I think we've come full circle. I think we're now at a point where we can see that the psychology core and the mental health of our soldiers is in everything we do. It's not just on operations. It's not just preparing them for operations. It's not just demounting them from operations. That the continuous, what we call the capability life cycle, that we need to understand what the profile of risk is to the mental health of our people from the moment they enter ab initio recruit training to the moment we're, trying to, we're transitioning them out. You know, how we weave in practices, measurement, support across that life cycle so that we keep soldier-centric mental health is really important. We're, we're getting there. I think we are. We're on, the, we're on the road. We're not there yet. We're on the road.
0: From your experience, where do you think the Army is with regards to stigma? self-stigma but also stigma from peers as well about mental health.
1: It's it's our it is still the issue. Yeah. And speaking to peers and in and outside of the other services and in the community. It is still our problem. Mm. I think we are better at it when we take responsibility down to the micro level. A lot of what we do in our organisation is top-down. We are hierarchical. There's generals that lead us. Mm -hmm. And where programs seem to make a difference related to stigma is when they're bottom-up. So having that voice of the soldier talking to the other soldier is way more powerful than me standing out the front with slides. Yes. So having those...
0: Peer-led discussions.
1: Yeah, peer-led discussions make a difference. Being, I think it's peer-led discussions, but then having those next layers. So knowing that it doesn't stop there, that there are, you know, those next layers of support, those next layers of advice that sit in the background, but giving us, our our peers, that space to move around because they know they're people, right? This is my job now. My job is to say to these commanding officers that come to me and say, I'm having a problem with so-and-so, these are the issues, can you fix it? Oh, no, I can't fix it. It's your duty of care, but I can support you to put this in place and put this in place and put this in place, and that's how we work towards it. And some of that might be getting actual frontline mental health support for that individual, but some of it might be what they're doing inside that unit. Maybe there's a culture thing going on. Maybe there's a particular practice that happens inside that unit that's actually having a mental health impact On those that work there so there's that kind of take a broad approach try lots of things because stigma it is our biggest barrier to care still
0: what about culture how would you how would you explain the culture do you think the culture is progressing it's it's more open to that sort of change and and more accepting
1: from a mental health perspective, from a mental yeah, health, perspective. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think we are way more comfortable with having the psych in the room. Yeah. We are way more comfortable having discussions about what is the profile of risk around mental health. We understand now that part of the conditions of service relate to what is going to what is the mental health impact. We are much more mature in that space. We're much more open. We are, it's normalised, I'd Mm. like to say. You know, we have a little couple of, you know, taglines that that sit in Army's mental health prevention space. We just simply say, keep your mates safe. Yeah. Because over and above why people serve, why do you do what you do, it's for the bloke next to them. And none of that has changed. Since we've had our backs to the wall, you know, for centuries in war fighting, we don't do it for our generals. We don't even do it for our country we do it for the person that's next to us and so if we when we say keep your mate safe we know that that is meaningful and that that is one of those it's that key lever for us around stigma is that you know keep your mate safe and if each of them keeps each other safe and we've got the right networks around the support the decision support the commanders are on board the health system is resourced to take them when it needs to then we're we're in the right spot
0: you currently lead the human performance optimization team at headquarters tell us what that what that is what that means yeah and what you're doing yeah sounds it's, cool
1: yeah right it does yeah and it's very exciting this is <laughs> like it's having come off lots of pretty intense positions over the last couple of years where i've just been I don't know, let's just say they've been pretty inten- pretty intense. So this year I thought I was walking into HBO and going, great, this is going to be fun. I've got a team that's multidisciplinary, so I've got physical training instructors, physios, I've got general service officers, I've got psychologists, um, a really, like this is the mixed bag. And HBO is, you're probably aware, pretty unregulated industry, right? You know, you can... You can jump about and call anything human performance optimization, But from an army perspective, this is about ensuring that that human, that individual has the systems in army in place to optimise their potential. So we're not about, you know, bringing something in that's going to turn people into super soldiers. Don't get me wrong, there's lots of research occurring in the futures space but our army needs people to be ready now, ready now and ready always. So in the ready now, it's about making sure that our systems, our health system, our personnel management system, our welfare system, our chains of command are all working together to optimise that human.
0: So you pull apart every aspect yeah. of the soldiers? Yeah, being in the systems yeah. around them yeah. to say, well, how can we yeah. optimize these systems in order yeah. to get the greatest performance, yeah. peak performance out of the soldiers? Yeah,
1: yeah. and that includes, wow. you know, so we we look at things from the physical domain, and we've just done a restructure around the combat physical conditioning. Understanding now, lessons learned that you know recovery is a really important part of this, and that the link between physical reconditioning and mental health recovery go hand in hand so our combat physical conditioning that goes across the life cycle of the soldier needs to include those elements so that's something we're doing rolling out at the moment we look in the kind of sociocultural domain which is about you know what are the climates of our units like at the moment you know are there things that are going on there is there some is there some element of that of that climate that's a bit hyper, (laughs) that we need to dial down a bit because we're not getting the best out of our people. We have a look at our chains of command and how our unit structures are working. And is there trust? Is there an openness? Those things matter in optimising a person's performance. So it's really about that holistic, are our systems working? I think in an old-fashioned view, you would say we would rely on the individual resilience of our people to get us across the line. And sometimes when you're doing your job, that's all you got left. Mm. But if that's what we're setting up, then we're just setting ourselves
0: up for failure. I assume there's a fair bit of research that would have to go on behind this stuff. I mean, are you doing this internally or are you taking studies from outside sources and applying them? You know, based on recovery, sleep, yeah. all this yeah. stuff. I mean, yeah. how, how are you doing all this?
1: Yeah, so we, there's a very small amount that occurs in-house. Okay. Most of it, we have strategic partnerships and we have contractual arrangements with the Defence Science and Technology Group and lots of okay. universities. So there's a human performance team inside the Defence Science and Technology Group who this is, their, this is their bag. This is what they do. They work in the Ready Now and the Future space, Okay. And they army, we present our problems to them. Say, so we want to improve in this. Have a look at this for us. And they will conduct the research. They'll go in and they'll, use, they'll design their, their studies. They'll translate their programs. So, yes, there's a scientific element wow. there. And the strategic partnership with the Australian Institute of Sport has been invaluable in transferring some of those Lessons around what it takes in elite sport to achieve high-performing teams—you know—we we can learn from that stuff. Mm. So, you, we have an MOU under that strategic partnership that's been uh, that's allowed us to really leverage their lessons, make them—you know—we bring them in, we work together. Everything's kind of a co-facilitation model. But yes, we we absolutely are building those community of relationships to support the HPO function
0: it's incredible you got those resources and the capacity there to do all that and I mean it makes sense doesn't
1: it yeah it does yeah we I think it these are specialists you know that the defense science technology guys they're on the game they're on point mm. they're at the leading on the research on this stuff army is a big beast and our job is to get capability out the door research is Is not something that we can at the moment support inside our structures so having this uh, relationship this contract there is is really important.
0: Jackie what do you love most about what you do?
1: You made me smile when you said that. (laughs) I love that I'm part of the team and and when I say team I without sounding too daggy it's it's team army it's about that identity piece is really important to me I feel like I'm making a difference.
0: Well, I can clearly see your passion about what you do and that's very evident. But the amazing work that you're up to, what excites you most about this moving forward? What, where are you heading with all of this in the Army, with, with what you're doing with this unit?
1: I guess the bit that excites me the most is the idea that you won't need people like me around too much longer that there will be a level of literacy, resources, understanding where the HPO mindset is normalised, where units in our army would do their planning and understand, have we got this right? Are we going to get the best out of our soldiers here? Is there anything that's likely to be risky or get in the way of what we're trying to achieve capability-wise but also for that, that individual. So if we can build that mindset, build those resources, build that understanding, then my HBO team will sit behind and we'll continue to bring that innovation from our science team in. We'll continue to get those good ideas and feed them through. But it's about starting to build that narrative and that support into Army for what we're doing. That's the exciting bit.
0: You think you'll be redundant, you mean, at some point?
1: Oh, not redundant. I absolutely think that having those specialists, that multidisciplinary team of SMEs to provide the advice, to make sure that everything we're doing is evidence-based, to make sure that we are absolutely um, doing no harm. I think there's absolutely the place for that. Okay. But I think to be able to stand back with my team and, and watch them do it. Okay. Yeah, is, is the end state.
0: How far off that do you think you are?
1: A couple of years. Yeah. Let's be ambitious. A okay. couple of years, I think. I think we you know, we've got a strategy that's building. We've got a lot of support from mm. higher command around this. There's certainly an energy in industry around human performance. It's it's one of those things where you can talk to soldiers about their mental health without actually talking about their mental health because they like the words HP. Okay. Oh yeah, she's the HP person. <laughs> yeah. So that's the stigma piece, right? So yeah. I can still get into their faces and into their little heads with Yeah, with human
0: performance. It's very clever.
1: Well, I think it's just I'm being strategic.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But and it's the name they the label, isn't it, that they yeah. associate
1: and with stigma, you've got to keep trying. Yeah. You've just got to find ways. And if it means that I'm providing, I think someone from Fordham said it before mental health by stealth. So this doesn't look like a mental health program. Right. I'm not telling you it's a mental health program, but if you walk away a little bit reset, that's good.
0: Yes. Yeah. No, I like that. I mean, you can clearly see this best practice, innovation, the optimization part of this is something that really excites you and it makes sense doesn't it how do we get our soldiers performing at their best in a peak state so that they when they have to go and do their job that they're ready to go
1: yeah absolutely and look i'd like to get to a state where we are our soldiers and the command chains around them understand that it's okay to be not ready (laughs) yeah that sometimes stuff gets in the way but that doesn't mean that you're you're done. It just means to use the AIS analogy, you know, you're just on the bench for a bit. And being on the bench is okay because you're still part of the team, you can still turn up for practice and you can still, you know, have your say, play your part. You're just not on the field at the moment. And if we can build that kind of analogy through to not only everything we're doing in the HP space, but more broadly in the mental health space, then our stigma, that that's a big hit to stigma.
0: You know, I, I was, I was going to ask you, the last question I was going to ask you was how do you, when people are presenting with mental ill health or some sort of traumatic impairment, how, how are you looking at that through the lens of the HBO side of things? Are you looking at it going, okay, let's, we've got this over here, we're going to take you through this program to... Yeah. Like you said, be on the sidelines, yeah. still yeah. still being a part of the team. Yeah. But is, that, is yeah. that the approach that you're taking with this? Yeah. Um, there's, there's Identifying this?
1: Yeah, yeah, there's two things there. So the first is let's get that person to the appropriate care. Yes. And that is our garrison health system. Yes. But then the second question is how did we get here? How did this person get this psychological injury? How did this person get this moral injury? How did this person how did this happen and so there's
0: from a prevention point of view yes okay
1: yeah yeah so then it's like you know what exposure did this person have what system have they come through what experience have they had and let's have a look at our systems let's have a look at our practices our programs our training the things that we are doing that might have put that person at risk got you yeah
0: got you Jackie, I think it's been really, really insightful to hear about all the things you've been up to. But tell us, how can people get in touch with you or what you're up to if they want to know more?
1: So I am on LinkedIn. Okay. You can grab me on LinkedIn. Otherwise, the army is really contactable. Yeah. So <laughs> you can... Call the army. Yeah, call the army.
0: Okay, great. Was there anything you want to say in closing?
1: Look, thank you for the opportunity. It is... I'm really proud of what I do. I, f- I get a lot of personal satisfaction, but it's it is being part of something that's bigger than myself and if I can give anybody the idea about doing that then I would say commit.
0: Beautifully said. Well Jackie thanks very much for your time we appreciate it. Yeah thanks for sharing your story and all the great things you're up to.
1: My pleasure thanks for having me.
0: Is there someone working in mental health who you'd like to be featured on the podcast? Are there more questions you want the answers to? Let us know what you want to hear. Get in touch with us by emailing any podcast suggestions to membership at anzmh.asn.au. And be sure to stay up to date on our socials at ANZMHA on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thank you very much for listening, and we look forward to sharing our next conversation.